Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. You guys want to dig into the Word? I do. All right, if you've got a Bible, open up. We're going to go to Luke 7. Luke 7, we're in this series that we're just calling Jesus. It's super creative, right? We wanted to like, uh, what could we... What could we uh, come up with that would really stir people? And we're like, how, how about Jesus? Uh, let's just get back to him. And we want to, rather than just focusing on like, what Jesus taught, let's take a look at who Jesus met. Who Jesus met and how their encounter changed them. What did they see in Jesus? What did they recognize in Jesus? How did he look them in the eyes? What did he see in them? And how were they changed by that encounter? Right, so we, we've looked at a number of different encounters. Some people were changed by Jesus, and some people walked away. And we want to examine that. And our ultimate goal is not just to know intellectually, oh, here's an encounter, and here's an encounter, and here's an encounter. We want to encounter these people so that we could encounter Jesus ourselves, so that we could see ourselves in the story and see Jesus right here, right now with us, meeting us in some of these same ways. So Luke 7, 36 through 50 shows us the picture of uh, three main characters, right? It's known as uh, the story of the woman with perfume. She's unnamed in the story, and we'll get into that, okay? So I want to read this passage, 36 through 50 in Luke 7, and then we'll dig in together. It starts out in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. This is Jesus he's asking. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing beside him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace 
All right, so main characters in the story, right? There's three of them. We've got the Pharisee, who's introduced three times right away by his title, his status in the community. A Pharisee invited Jesus to dinner. He went into the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's name is Simon, right? He's hosting a dinner, uh, what we think is, with a whole bunch of people there. It's not just him and Jesus sitting at a table, right? This is, he's gathering other Pharisees with him, and he's bringing Jesus into that. Does he like Jesus? Does he want to learn from Jesus? Does he want to follow Jesus? Like Levi did, right? The story of Levi with Matthew. Jesus uh, tells Matthew, tells Levi to follow him, and he's like, yes, I will. And then he goes and he gets all of his tax collector friends, and he says, come to dinner at my house. Jesus is here. Right? So is Simon like Levi, or is he more like the Pharisees and Sadducees that we talked about last week? Is he undecided about Jesus? So, and then, so there's the Pharisee, there's Simon, and then there's Jesus, and then there's this unnamed woman. She's got a reputation. She's known in the community as a sinner. We're not told what. Now, lots of people through the years have said that they think it's clear that she's a prostitute. And I don't think Luke makes that clear. We don't need to call her that. We don't need to know anything about her except that she has a reputation as a sinner, right? She's known by the Pharisees as somebody who sins blatantly. And Jesus doesn't argue that she's not. So that's the three main characters. The setting, Simon, the Pharisee's house, they'd come in to dinner. There's likely a U-shaped table, low table, that they would sort of recline at. The way that this would work is they would lean on their left side and they'd put their feet behind them so that their feet were behind the person to their right. Can you imagine that? They're on a kind of a low couch kind of thing, day bed-ish thing. They're lying down on their right side, maybe with their elbow up, and their feet are behind them, maybe curled back, but they're all sort of at an angle coming up to the table. Cultural information, hospitality, is like rule number one. Major cultural expectation, and even more for a rabbi or a teacher. Often dinner would have included conversation, about how they understood God. They'd have a meal, offer hospitality, they'd have a meal, and then following the meal, they'd have the like, theological discourse. Some uh, scholars say that um, other people in the community who weren't invited to the dinner would, uh, could come in and sit against the wall if they were interested in listening in on the conversation. So what happens? Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner, Jesus accepts the invitation, and a woman who has heard that Jesus is going to be eating at Simon's house went there also, okay? She doesn't burst into the scene. She's already there when dinner begins. She sees Jesus uh, come in. She sees the welcome Jesus receives. She sees them all uh, sit down. It's like she had heard earlier in the day, Jesus has plans to eat at Simon's. That's where I'm going later. I want to see more of him. And she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, I really don't like the ESV here that we read. It says ointment. That's just a weird word. That doesn't make me think, oh, that's of great value, right? 
NIV, NASB, New Living, the message, they all say perfume. Can we agree that we like that one better? Right? Although ointment has this idea of maybe there's some medicinal value. Maybe there's a healing component. It doesn't just smell good. But there's both going on. This is fragrant, it's expensive, and it could be kind of a balm. That one's even better than ointment. That's just not a good word. Okay? That's a personal hang-up. Sorry. So she's behind Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden, she's standing behind him weeping, wetting his feet with her tears. She wipes his feet with her hair, and she kisses his feet and pours this perfume on them. Okay, stop. Like, there's a lot going on there. What is happening? What does the perfume and the tears and the hair and the kisses on the feet mean? From Simon's perspective, this is really provocative. This is unacceptable public behavior for a woman toward a man. Touching. Kissing. She takes her hair down. Women did not wear their hair down. They wore their hair up and they wore it covered in public. People say that uh, the first time a man would see a woman's hair down was on their wedding night. She would let it down for the first time. It was considered incredibly provocative. Perfume is expensive. For Simon, this is all kinds of uncomfortable. A woman with a reputation of a sinner all of a sudden is kissing Jesus, touching Jesus' feet, uh, taking her hair down and wiping his feet. And Simon feels all kinds of ick to that. And he wants Jesus to disapprove of both the woman and her actions. He says to himself, no way is this guy a prophet. There's no way this guy is who he says he is. If he was, he'd never allow her to do that. Right? And Jesus answers the man's thoughts which is cool. Like he said to himself, this is an inner dialogue happening and Jesus answers the inner dialogue. Jesus answers the thoughts by telling a parable. He says, Simon, I got something to tell you. Go ahead, teacher. Go on. Verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which will love them more? The parable ends with a question. It's a Socratic method of teaching. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to draw the answer out from you. Which debtor will love more? Simon answers, the one who was forgiven more. Jesus says, yes, well done. You judged correctly. And then Jesus turned to the woman. And picture this. He turns to the woman, but he's still talking to Simon, right? He's still talking to Simon. Verse 44 says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I love that question. What does Simon see? He sees her sin. He sees her reputation. He sees somebody who's not worthy of attention, not worthy of an audience, surely not worthy of Jesus' attention. That's what Simon sees. And Jesus asks the question, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears 
and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment perfume. So Jesus adds a piece that we haven't seen. Luke has failed to offer Jesus basic hospitality. And he probably didn't just accidentally fail. He very likely intentionally withheld these from Jesus. Jesus says, when I came in, he didn't do this for me, which would be customary. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, which would be customary. You didn't give me oil for my hands and my head so that I could freshen up. You didn't do that. That's customary, especially for someone that you're calling teacher. That was an esteemed role. So you're esteeming me with your words, but your actions say you're lying. You didn't do any of that. You didn't do any of that. Luke has omitted the lack of hospitality until the timing in the story is right to just bring it into the story with a punch. We didn't see it coming in until Jesus mentions it. Oh, there's something else going on here. But it's very likely that everybody else in the room saw it. If something is so much a part of their culture and then it's just not present, they see what's going on. Everybody saw that Jesus was being dishonored. And now we see the woman more clearly. She's so offended for Jesus that she begins to weep. If Simon won't extend the hospitality that Jesus is worthy of, then she most certainly will. And there's something else going on here. I love what somebody wrote I read this week. The woman's actions are not only honorable by comparison to Simon's, but they are extravagant. She does not provide water for his feet, but instead washes them herself with her tears. She has no towel. She uses her hair to dry them. She does not kiss his cheek or his hand, but his feet. She does not anoint his head, but his feet. And not with household olive oil, but with costly perfume. All of her actions are performed on Jesus' feet, that unseemly, unclean part of the body, thus accenting all the more the extraordinary and humble nature of her attendance to her needs, his needs. She's... The woman is sitting there watching Jesus be dishonored. And she said, no, not Jesus. If you won't do it, I will. Now, why did she do it? Jesus answers that in verse 47. When he's talking to Simon, he says, Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, I need to make a confession to you guys. I have often read this passage and thought that Jesus was forgiving this woman for her sins right there in the moment as she expresses such love. But that's not what's happening. The parable explains he who has forgiven much, loves much. So which came first, the love or the forgiveness? Forgiveness comes first, right? That's the order that Jesus is presenting things. Not, she loved much, so she's forgiven much, which is how I've always read it. And Jesus just flips that. She has been forgiven much. 
and look what is coming out of her. The parable explains that order. And love is the response. So what's happened likely is that this woman has previously encountered Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He's witnessed his teaching. He's, she's listened to how he talked about the love of God for sinners. She knows she's got a reputation. And God loves me. God loves me. And she's so moved by that. And she receives the forgiveness that Jesus is teaching. She receives the forgiveness that Jesus is extending. And it does something in her heart. She finds herself forgiven by God and joy erupts. And then she finds out Jesus is going to be having dinner at Simon's house and she plans to attend. She brings the perfume as a symbol of her great love and gratitude, likely to anoint his hands or his head and say, hey, I just want you to know, thank you. Thank you. And I want to give this to you out of my love and gratitude. And when Simon abuses Jesus, she loses it. And even though her actions will put spotlight on her and very likely send ridicule her way, how dare she do that when even I have withheld that from him? She recognizes that it's worth it to her after what Jesus has given her. She doesn't care what others think, only what Jesus thinks. Simon is so uncomfortable with her actions, and he assumes sinful motivation. He looks at her, and all he sees is sin. But Jesus sees her true motivation. Jesus sees her. He sees what she's intending, and that changes everything for him. And something else is clear. How many sinners are there in the parable? There's two, right? Do they correlate to the people in the story? Do they correlate to the people in the room? Yeah. The woman Jesus is setting up as the debtor who owed 500 denarii. And who is the debtor who owed 50? Simon. Jesus is God. See that. God is the one forgiving debts in the parable. Jesus is saying, she's this one, and you're this one, and oh, look who I am. Jesus is putting himself in the place of God in the parable. Don't misunderstand that he's very direct about who he is. Does Jesus offer forgiveness to the woman or to Simon? Does Jesus offer forgiveness to the woman or to Simon? Yes. Right? The answer is both. He offers forgiveness to both. They both have sin. Only one recognizes it. The woman recognizes she's got sin in her life. Simon fails to see it in himself. He sees it all over her, right? He can clearly see her sin. He can't see his own. Simon certainly sees where other people fail. He's just not able to see. He's blind to what's going on in himself. Now, does that happen today? Does that happen today? Do people get good at noticing other people's sin while failing to see their own? Yes. I do that, right? 
I'm really quick to see where other people mess up, but I'm, I, I don't mess up all that often. Right? That's not true. I'm just blind a lot of the time. And when people help open my eyes, that's painful at first, but then it produces like, oh, good. I want to work on some of that. I want to be, I want to get rid of that too. I want to, I want to let God take that, change me. Honestly, if all you see is other people's sin, there's a really good chance that you're not set free of your own. There's a really good chance that you're walking in blindness like Simon in the story. Here's another thing. I don't actually really think that Jesus is saying that the woman is a big sinner and Simon's a little sinner. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's trying to use language that communicates something that catches Simon's attention. He, Simon, sees the woman as a real big sinner, right? He would clearly identify her, identify her as the big sinner in the parable. And then him, well, maybe, I, you know, I make a few mistakes here and there. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And he, here's why I would point to that, just a direct reference to that. In Luke 5, 29 through 32, when Jesus is actually having dinner at Levi's house, it says this, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, if you follow that line of logic, is Jesus calling the Pharisees righteous? No. Is he calling them healthy? No. He's saying, you think you are. You think you're righteous. You think you're healthy. You don't think you have a need. Once you recognize you're sick, I've got what you need. But I can't do anything with somebody who thinks they're just fine. I can't do anything with somebody who thinks they don't have a problem. I want somebody who recognizes brokenness and says, I need you. I can, do, I can work wonders in those people. And so that's why I say, I don't think Jesus is actually highlighting her sin or saying, yeah, oh, she's really, she's a dirty woman, right? I think he's saying, you see her this way, and yet, God's forgiveness extends to her. And by the way, extends to you, if you can see it, if you see the need for it. God's forgiveness extends to you, too. Often, we want to get in a fight. Who's the worst sinner? Jesus is like, that, that's really not the point. The point is forgiveness is offered. The point is, in your spot of need, God comes to you. Will you receive him? Jesus isn't saying Simon's healthy. He's saying you don't think you have a real issue here. And then Jesus finishes verse 48. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Again, I think this has already happened earlier. 
I don't think he's saying, I forgive you right now. Now your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He's affirming what has been done. He's not pronouncing, he's affirming. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And we don't know how Simon responds. Like Luke cuts it off. He's brilliant. He leaves the the ending open, right? Jesus turns to the woman, says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, what happens to Simon? How does Simon respond? Does he just get mad? Does he throw everybody out of the house? Does he spit at Jesus? Does he say, oh, 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 I get it. Oh, I didn't see. Like Luke doesn't say. I'm, I'm good. You get the point. Why is, why is Luke doing that? He's hanging the question out. Will Simon learn to view God as the one who cancels debts and then invites Simon to do the same so that he might behave toward others with love and not held back by constraints of past behavior and reputation? Will Simon learn that God forgives and then wants us to get in on that toward others? Will we? Will we learn that God is in the position of forgiveness? He offers it to us, and then he invites us to bring that to others. Will Simon recognize Jesus as God's authorized agent to pronounce forgiveness and to bring restoration? How will Simon respond? And Luke hangs it out there. They say, how will you respond if Simon is me? Simon is you. How will you respond? We find our forgiveness in Jesus. And when we see our sin forgiven, love pours out. Jesus didn't stop with this dinner. He didn't just say, go in peace. Jesus continued to carry his ministry to others to extend forgiveness. And he walked all the way up the hill onto the cross. He continued to give and give and give so that people could really live. If you have never received the forgiveness of God for your sins, you can today. He's still sitting with open arms. You can receive that again today. And if you have received forgiveness by God through Jesus, be reminded again of the great love that God has for you. And let love erupt like it did with this woman. Simon wanted Jesus to turn away and to push her away. And Jesus says, this is what love looks like. Will you go and give love extravagantly and let people say what they want so moved by Jesus that you love. We're going to turn turn toward worship and communion. When we come to the communion table, we recognize that Jesus didn't just teach and he didn't just heal while he was here. He went all the way. And he gathered his disciples together for that last supper together. It says when he took the bread that evening at dinner, he broke it and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Like, 
eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine and he took the cup and he said, God, thank you. And he said, to everybody there, he said, I want you to see that this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins so that you might live. And I want you to eat and I want you to drink every time you do it in remembrance of me. As the worship team comes, um, we're going to celebrate communion. And right before they do, Michael just gave me a nod. They say, he's, he's got something cooking up in him. All right. Hey, everybody. I want to just share a second sermon. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I did want to just share a few thoughts. Shannon and I were going back and forth about um, kind of a response. And initially, I told him, no, I don't really want to, I don't have anything to say. I don't want to say anything. But I wanted to be open. And I've just been kind of prayerfully um, thinking, like, trying to listen to the Lord over the last hour, what he wants to say to us and maybe what he wants to say through me. And I just want to encourage you that, like, we should always be in that posture <laughs> when we're gathered together. What does the Lord want to say? What does he want to do? And, and what's my part? And that really gets at, I think, what I feel the Lord stirring in my heart right now is that um, he, uh, uh, some, some of what he wants to do in us as a body. So I don't have, like, this refined, clean message right now. I wanted to tell a quick story. Um, I remember for Em <laughs> and I, this is a few years ago, so we, we've worked in, in ministry in a, in a support raising um, ministry roles where we're like God brings, we rely on Jesus to provision and, um, and we've had supporters who, who support the work that we're doing financially and in prayer and in encouragement. And I remember a few years ago, uh, we were at a point where our income was really, really low like really low, like there's poverty level and we're like down here. And, um, and, God, and God just was like always providing, always providing. But I felt this stirring in my heart that God wanted to do something different and he wanted me to, to take action around that, okay? And um, in the midst of that, I remember I was standing on my driveway and I, had, I got a call from one of, our, um, one of our supporters, one of our donors. And he calls me up and, and their support provided a quarter of our income, okay? And, um, and he calls me up and he says, hey, we're going to have to cut our support for you guys. And um, there was like a half second where I felt really bad for myself. <laughs> and then I remembered what God had been stirring in my heart, and I, and I felt just encouraged in this grace. And, and I told him, you know what, that's actually good news because God's been stirring some things in our hearts of ways that we need to grow and ways that we need to take action to see his provision. And he was kind of caught off guard by that. He's like, well, you're thanking me, but I just told you that we're... And I said, no, 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 it's good, it's good. God's been moving, and this just creates the opportunity for us to continue to grow in, in our part. And, um, and so that conversation progressed where he started to share with me um, some challenges in his life and um, ways that he had even had um, suicidal thoughts creep into his mind and ways that he was dealing with stuff from his past and, and all this in, in a phone call for him calling to tell me, hey, we're cutting you guys off. <laughs> and, um, and I was just so grateful that God had been like doing that work in my heart and been stirring me. Um, 
because I was able to get over myself and myself as a victim, you with me? And to like think, how can I grow? What does God want to do? And how can, um, and what does God want to do in, in this dude? And I was able to then to pray for him. And you know what happened through that? It actually strengthened our relationship together rather than like cut it off and create awkwardness. But the, the whole point behind that being that God is our provider. But the way that God provides, God's, God is our provider. So when we say all this stuff, we're talking about the, the budget for DR and all that. God's our provider, and we're looking to him to provide, period. Okay? Um, and, but God, the way that God provides is that he's always committed to our maturity. He's always committed to shaping us. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? God will provide for us, but he's committed to do that in a way that grows us. He's always forming Christ in us. He's always growing us to be sons and daughters, not just handout recipients. Okay, so the people are in the wilderness, and God's providing every day. What is God doing in them? through his provision of the manna. What do you think? Every day they go out, there's bread on the ground, tastes really good. They even called it, what is it? That's what manna means, what is it? <laughs> Literally, that's what it means. Because they're like, I don't know what this is, but it's, it's good. Um, what do you think God was doing in their hearts through the provision of the manna? Yeah, it was just, so he, he took a people out of bondage. Can anybody relate with that? You've been in bondage before? He took a people out of bondage, brought them out into isolation in the wilderness. Anybody been there? God does that with people and then took them to a new place. Anybody experience that? And they cross, so they cross, God's providing manna every day, every day, every day, and then they cross into the promised land. You know what happened to the manna? It stopped. They cross over, and then where did their provision come from? From the land. And what do you do with the land? Does, does, the, the, do the, does the fruit just show up in your kitchen? You've got to work the land, right? And what was God doing in their hearts through that? What do you think? Yeah, teaching. he's making them strong. He's building their character, right? He's building them as, as people, as sons and daughters who, who co-labor with him for provision. God's always working to shape us. Um, so... I just, I, this is just what I, what I felt stirring in, in, in my heart this morning is that God wants to shape us as a body. Financial, God always throughout history uses wealth and money to, like it's the primary thing that gets at our hearts. Jesus talks about money all the time. And he does it in a way, like he, he always uses money and wealth and provision to shape us. Not just, not just make us like, hand out recipients, but build us up as sons and daughters. So my question is, God, what do you want to do in us? What do you want to do in us? Um, who, who are we together? And as we're, we're hearing this story this morning about Simon and woman and, and Jesus, like Jesus is, there's this responsive, like r- radical generosity to Jesus. And it turns out that we can never outgive Jesus. Anybody ever tried to outgive Jesus before? It just doesn't work because he keeps on giving and giving and giving. He gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And he keeps on giving and keeps on giving. So this is just the, the, the question 
and that I, I wanted to throw out for us was like, what does God want to do in our hearts? And how does he want to stir radical generosity back to him? Okay, I'm not saying, I, 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 don't, I don't know how much you give. And honestly, I don't really like care. It's, I care. But I'm an elder in this church and like it doesn't, I, I, I trust God to work in, out in his people. Okay, so like the amount doesn't matter. We're a part of this church and this is what we make it. I think that's what, something that we need to hear. This is what we make it together. This is not about Shannon. This is not about the elders or the staff or whatever. This is, look around the room. This is DR. This is Damascus Road. And it will be what we make it and it won't be what we don't make it. Okay, so we, we need to hear that, I think, in, in what are we going to make it together. And um, like for us, like Emma's on staff and her, you know, we talked about in the budget plan, like her position gets cut if, if uh, and that income, you know what, we're, we're fine, okay? We're not like shedding tears over, oh my gosh, we're victims, thankfully. Um, we're just, we're saying, okay, God, how do you want to provide and how can we partner with you? in that that's that's the question how how do you want to mature us lord in replacing this income now we would love for emma to be able to continue to coordinate the leading of worship for the church yeah and for leslie to be able to coordinate children's ministry and all that and they'll continue to do that to the capacity that they have but we're not don't look at us as victims okay we're sons and daughters amen and this is going to be this is going to be what we make it together and um so I just want to give that, that challenge in response to this story. How, what does God want to do in us together? What does God want to do here? And how can we um, grow in radical generosity? So Shannon's like, introducing communion. This is a, a sign of Jesus' radical generosity to us. This is a sign of Jesus' radical generosity to us. So as we take that, let's be reminded. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of what I've done for you. And, um, and let's just be open to what, and God, what, what kind of extravagant generosity do you want to stir from my heart? How can I, how can I follow your lead in generosity? And I just want to, like, correct a thought in case it's there. I'm not saying, and you need to all, f- like, file to the giving box, okay, and, like, give. That's not even what I'm getting at. But maybe that's an expression for sure. But um, how, how does, what does Jesus want to shape in us, and what is our response today to his generosity? Yeah. You can correct any of that. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you don't just give to us, but you grow us. And you give in ways that help us grow. We want to be continually transformed by you we've recognized our dependency and even that is a gift like the woman in the story who knew she needed you is in such a better position than the one who didn't think he did and we thank you for the place that we are as a church where we know we need you and we also know you're good that you provide over and over and over and over and we're grateful to you Help us to continue to grow. Help us to be transformed. Help us as we receive your love to grow in being generous lovers. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.